Do you no longer want conversations about money with your partner to escalate to an argument? Or do you really need to talk to your boss about that promotion you've been hoping for? We will tell you how on this episode of Happily Unmarried. Hi, my name is Danielle. And my name is Daniel. And you're listening to the Happily Unmarried podcast, a podcast about adulting and living your best life. In this episode, we will talk about why we need to have difficult conversations, how to prepare for them, and how to facilitate them in your personal and professional life. So what is a hard conversation? I would say that a hard conversation is typically one that may create conflict and is emotionally loaded. These would typically be about things that we find important. So the topics of these conversations are usually something that are meaningful to us in one way or another. Uh, I think some some examples of typical hard conversations, maybe it makes sense to split them out between hard conversations that you might have in your personal life and hard conversations that you might have in your professional life. So some typical personal life hard conversations could be about money or how to raise your children. Chores. Chores, for example, yes. Household chores. Not not with your children, <laughs> but like actual housework. But if you're actually interested in uh, learning about uh, chores and children, there's an episode of Happily Unmarried that you should check out. And the most common kind of point of contention in, in relationships other than money is intimacy. Sex. Sex and, and other forms of intimacy. In your professional life, hard conversations could be about performance, especially like if you're a manager and have to deliver... Performance reviews. Performance reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, feedback, either up or down or, or horizontally, right? If you, if you need to talk to somebody and give them that, that hard feedback. And asking for promotions or raises or discussions around that, right? Those are typical topics that can lead to hard conversations or can spark hard conversations. And because these conversations are typically emotionally loaded and may lead to conflict, we tend to want to avoid having them, right? It's not something that is necessarily enjoyable. It doesn't always make us feel good. So it seems that sometimes the most important things that need to be discussed, we kind of avoid solely because of how they make us feel. So why do we have to have them then if they make us feel so terrible? (laughs) If you don't have these conversations, then you're essentially going to create the environment that you're afraid to create by having the conversation, right? So you're allowing for more conflict. You're letting those emotions fester. So I think what you're saying is fundamentally... By having these conversations, you can resolve whatever conflict there is. And it also gives you an opportunity to grow and develop. Funny that you say that. I recently learned that in uh, Chinese, the characters for crisis, there's two characters. And if you split them apart and read them individually, the first character means danger. And the second character means opportunity. So it's kind of like, oh, in every crisis, there's an opportunity but yeah, I think having hard conversations can fundamentally and ultimately improve our lives and careers and relationships. Right. If you don't talk it out. You act it out. <laughs> <laughs> so since these conversations are so important, you probably want to prepare before going into one. So what are some ways that you could prepare for having a hard conversation? Yeah, so I think the first thing before going into having a hard conversation, whether it's at work or at home, is understanding the goal of that conversation. So what is the outcome? What is the goal that you expect or want? And use that to kind of guide you throughout this preparation process, right? It's a good way to keep yourself on track. Uh, if you're the kind of person that tends to get flustered or, you know, you start to get anxious so you and you forget all the things that you want to say. I found personally that it helps to kind of create some bullet points, some high level things that you want to make sure you don't forget um, that almost kind of lead into talk track. So if there's something that you have to say that's very sensitive and you want to be sure that you say it in the exact right way and you don't want to forget, then maybe it's worth jotting that down so that you can you know, practice it or have that note with you when you have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I think another great thing to do is schedule some time and potentially even give the other person a heads up. I mean, this makes, and and I think what's interesting about this is this makes a ton of sense at 
in a, in a work environment, right? I mean, typically, at least for me, usually you schedule time with someone when you need to talk to them, right. depending on how urgent an issue is. So this idea that you're scheduling time, you're putting it on the calendar ahead of time, and you may even give that person a heads up here, I'm putting time in your calendar because I want to talk about this. Uh, I think it's something that we tend to do naturally at work, but maybe feels a little bit unnatural at home, mm -hmm. you know, with your partner. But I think by utilizing that, by by understanding that you're going to set aside time to talk about the specific thing. And if you think it would be fair or it makes sense to let your partner know, here's this thing that I want to talk about, it, that allows them to prepare as well. Right. And I think even if you, for whatever reason, don't set aside specifically time, I think it's m just more than fair when you go into a conversation like this to let the other person know, hey, um, so you could, for example, ask, I would like to talk about XYZ with you is now a good time mm -hmm. and give them the opportunity to say, can we talk about it tomorrow or later or some other time? Right. So you're not, you're not putting them on the spot. Yeah. Um, which again can create like this kind of unnecessary, um, feeling of anxiety in people when you have to, when you want to talk about mm -hmm. something like that. I think ultimately, however well you prepare we need to realize and acknowledge having hard conversations is hard. That's why they're called that. And just thinking about it, right? How would you yourself react if somebody walked up to the to you and criticized you or attacked you or... I mean, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very emotionally loaded person. So uh, I am the person that's going to get angry, get defensive, get anxious, start crying, um, shut down. I could potentially do all of those things in one conversation. <laughs> right. But you want to have a dialogue, right. right? This is really what is important. And this is conflict, right? When you, when you, how do you approach this in the first place? Like a lot of people struggle with, with this notion of, are you going to be direct and upfront with the person? Or are you going to be kind and sugarcoat everything? How do you approach it? Like you do want to address the actual elephant in the room right so you do want to be direct but you also don't want to offend the other person or hurt the other person how do you approach that i think one thing that people need to realize or understand is you can do both right you can be direct and to the point but remain respectful and not offend or attack the other person you do not necessarily have to sugarcoat everything to remain respectful and nice but i mean and to acknowledge you know all of these feelings that we talk about that people have um when having a, a hard conversation is because these conversations are really intimidating. And the outcome of these conversations could be a huge impact to your career or your personal relationships. Right. Both in the positive sense, if you have successful hard conversation, but they could also hurt your relationships or your career or your professional life if you drive the car against the wall, right? So that is why they're so intimidating. And that's why a lot of people are scared to have them, not necessarily only because just having the conversation is intimidating, but also the outcome could be... May not be in your favor. Yeah. But in the end, the goal, I think, of any hard conversation is to build trust with the other person and to build common understanding. You want to find a common ground, something that both people can agree on. Like, don't forget... In the end, you're trying to resolve an important issue, something that is really important to you, and you need to work towards that against all emotions and urges that you might spontaneously develop during a hard conversation. So talking about emotions, I think it's important to note that going into these hard conversations are going to stir up your emotions. That's how our brain works. We have feelings and... Well, you do. I, I have feelings. You're I, a robot. I yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's psychology, right? Um, it's how our biochemistry works. You feel attacked or intimidated. Your amygdala kicks in. You go into fight or flight mode. But we need to face the fact that we're trying to solve an issue. We're trying to resolve some conflict that we have. And running away from it or punching the other person in the face is not going to resolve that conflict. So what we need to do is, in that scenario, we need to manage our emotions. And we need to... Get zen. Get zen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like if we want to achieve a goal that that will be the only way to do that um yelling at the other person or literally like stomping out on them is, is not going to do that and we have to be aware of that and to achieve this what we want to do is like we want to recognize our emotions we want to be able to tell oh wow 
I can feel like my neck muscles are tightening, my my fingers are starting to tingle, my heart is starting to beat or what these kind of feelings express different for every person, but we want to be able to recognize a going into these hard conversations will stir up these emotions and when they come when they trigger, we want to be able to realize this and put our foot to the brake and slow down and manage our emotions. And I think it's interesting, you know, what you said that, you know, to recognize what is happening to your body physically when you start to get upset. And it seems like when you say it, I mean, it sounds like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But for some people, unless you're like consciously thinking about your body while you're upset, a lot of people have no idea Mm -hmm. what that feels like or what what some of these possible you know, signs can be. So one thing that I recommend for everybody is, you know, when you get upset, take stock and kind of feel if you are short of breath or if you're starting to sweat or other physical symptoms that can be a red flag to yourself Mm -hmm. before you are out of control, that this is coming. So what are some ways that can help manage your emotions in a situation like that? Let's say you are in a, in a hard conversation, you recognize your physical triggers. What can you do to manage the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you separate professional conversations from personal conversations, you know, in a, when you're talking to a partner, you can stop and take a, a couple deep breaths and, and slow your heart rate down. Or you can you can tell your partner, you know what, I need a minute. Let me just gather myself here. That may or may not be appropriate to do if you're in a meeting with your boss. One thing that I've found that helps me specifically in a professional conversation that's making me really uncomfortable is always having something to drink. Because in that time that I'm taking to take a sip, I'm allowing myself to take that breath and swallowing and giving myself a minute to think about what I'm going to say back. And it doesn't feel, it it feels more natural. Um, versus having to be super explicit about yeah. what I'm doing. I, ideally, you want to have a bottle. You take the bottle, you open um, yeah. it up. It takes time. Take a sip, you mm-hmm. close it again, you put it away. So you have some time to kind of like settle down and take a deep breath and think a little bit about what just happened, what was said, and kind of how you want to react to that. Yeah. And if you're one of those people that when you get very stressed or anxious, you your immediate response is to cry. I mean, that happens to me, not necessarily because I'm like, oh my God, I have to cry because I'm so sad. Like, it's just a physical response mm-hmm. that happens. Using the water to take a breath and swallow, like that helps stop the, the tears. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that you can listen to this podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and even on our website? Just search for Happily Unmarried Podcast and don't forget to subscribe. You just talked about saying, hey, I need a minute. Think about this. I, I do think this is appropriate in a professional con- uh, context Yeah, as well. I mean, the way in which you say it, right? Oh, yeah. that's a good point. I need to think about it for a second. That's how, probably how I would say it at work. And there's also this concept of meta conversations, which we'll get into a little bit later. But just letting the other person know. Like, if you just shut down, you're quiet you because just, I need you, need, you, you need a minute. Yeah. Then the other person is like, what's going on here? Is that person just ignoring me now or what's going on? So when you need some time, be verbal about it. Like, be, like let the other person know, I need some time. And that is absolutely appropriate as long as you say it respectfully and, and not kind of stomp out of the room and say like, I need some time. I'll be back later. Even when you have emotional reactions, in the end, like if you need to start crying or if you start sweating like a hog, it's okay to be explicit about it and let the other person know, hey, I'm sorry, this is how I react when I'm under stress, just that so you know. Well, I would like to agree with you and say that that's perfectly acceptable. Being a woman and this idea that women are too emotional and they can't handle feedback and all they do is cry. Like as a woman, when you're in situations like that, like literally crying is the last thing you want your body to do. It almost feels like it's rebelling against you. I mean, so, so yes, I would hope that you are in a situation where you have the support that you can say, hey, sorry, like I'm just tearing up because I'm having an emotional response here, but I'm listening and I'm willing to take this feedback. But not everybody necessarily has that kind of support at work. That's fair. I understand that. But then let's flip it around. Yes, maybe you you don't want to have that emotional reaction. But what if you can't stop it, right? right? And in that situation, I think it is appropriate um, and, and definitely... Just call it out. Yeah, to call it out and be like, hey, I, that's that's how I sometimes react when I'm under a lot of stress or have strong emotions. But I, I hear you. I understand what you're saying. And I'm, I'm taking the feedback. And I think in the end, like one way to 
to try to manage your emotions to like refocus and focus on the goal that you're trying to achieve with this hard conversation. Obviously, this is easier if you're the one delivering the hard conversation instead of receiving. But even when you're delivering the hard conversation, in the midst of having the conversation, you could get triggered as well in some way. You, your emotions could be stirring up as well. Refocus, think, what am I trying to achieve here? Is going to get angry or defensive or whatever else going to help me achieve that goal or not? And if it's not going to help achieve that goal, then you should focus on what you actually want to achieve. Do you think, though, that that is something that can only be self-managed? Or is it appropriate to, if you recognize that maybe the person that you're speaking to is spiraling to help refocus them? Or should that be left to the person to to self-manage? I think in general, it is okay to try help the other person uh, manage their reactions and emotions as well. You want to be careful. I wouldn't say manage their emotions and reactions. I'm just thinking like, you can acknowledge their emotion and say... I, I, you know, I, I get that this is upsetting to you. Like, I just want to make sure we stay on topic. Right. And, and that is helping help manage their remote. Yeah. yeah. Um, you do want to be careful with that, though. You, you can, you could very easily upset people even more by, by trying to, to, to support them in managing their emotions. But yeah, you can even offer to um, postpone the conversation or something, right? So delivering uh, PSC conversations at work, for example, bad news for somebody, the employee didn't do well during the half, and you have to deliver that, and they're starting to tear up or getting angry at you, whatever. It is appropriate to say, hey, you, you know what? I, I can see that this is impacting you significantly. I understand that. That is, that is not unusual in this situation. How about I give you a day to process all of this, and we come back tomorrow again to, to talk about the rest. And another thing too, and this is in a t- kind of a different situation, but in my experiences, I've t- had to work with or have difficult conversations in almost a third way, which is with clients. Um, so dealing with clients who are upset and managing those conversations. One thing that I found that people tend to respond really well to is, you know, if you're talking to them about one thing and they're getting riled up and they start bringing up all these other things and you start getting off track, specifically in this role, because I have a certain period of time that I've scheduled to talk to this customer to resolve all of their issues. Mm -hmm. So typically my approach is kind of to acknowledge this additional problem or tangent that we've gone on, make note of it, let the customer know, I I recognize that this is also really important to you. We can come back to this at the end or if we need to schedule some more time later to talk about this specific issue, I'm happy to do so and then do that to kind of get them back on track. So I think you bring up a very interesting point uh, about your customers kind of going on tangents and bringing up all this different stuff. That's actually something that we tend to do a lot, especially I think in personal relationships um, when we're having hard conversations where we're trying to talk about topic A and then somebody feels attacked or becomes defensive and then they bring up all these other things. They're like, but what about, right? But what about when you did this or when you did that? And then it's very easy to kind of spiral into this back and forth of you did this, but you did this, or but you did that. Here are all the things I hate that you do and here are all the things that, yeah, and then it just turns into... You're just unloading all your dirty laundry, basically, just dumping it on the other person and completely forgetting or losing out of focus what you're actually trying to achieve, like your original goal, even if there are a lot of problems in your relationship, you won't be able to fix them all in one conversation. So leave them at home. Focus on what you're actually trying to solve and to fix. And and for work example, if your manager's talking to you about an issue and then you start saying, well, but so-and-so did the exact same thing. Like, well, this conversation is not about so-and-so. This conversation is about you. As a general guideline, like try to remain respectful at at all times. Um, Even if the other person becomes unfair or is lashing out at you, you need to be the one that keeps their calm and manages the situation and does not escalate the situation even further. So try to always remain calm. And if if you're noticing that you're like tilting, maybe refocus, do some of those breathing exercises, take a sip of water, try to find your balance and, and move forward with focus on the goal. And then I think the other thing, and this goes back to the whole being direct, but respectful, but like, don't beat around the bush. Get to the point as quickly as you can, in my personal opinion, in as few words as you can, uh, because the longer you talk and draw out and give all of this, let me set the foundation for all before this one thing that I have to say to you and the other person feels the buildup and know that knows that something's coming. It's like you're winding them up mm-hmm. like those little wind up toys. And then you let you get to your point and then you let them go and they're just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely. Like for the other person that's receiving that communication, there's this 
looming threat lingering on the horizon and they can clearly see it coming but it's slowly and slowly it's and it, you might think that you're it's like it's with good intent right so you're providing all of this to set the foundation but it's like just say what you need to say and then you can take a step back and provide the context right and i think you touching on it right now we, we should briefly talk about it as well you should always assume good intent like more often than not if people say something maybe even things that sound a little bit awkward or a little bit offensive we we should assume good intent because more likely than not they did do have good intent so I think next we want to talk about how you can structure a hard conversation. So how do you go into a hard conversation or how do you deliver the primary statement or point that you want to make in a way that your other person can be receptive to it without immediately feeling attacked or threatened? So I think there's three to four steps. <laughs> really, the third and the fourth are very tightly entangled to each other. But the first step is to state an observation. And you want to do this as factual as possible. So we're going to go into this in more detail in a second, but basically make an objective observation or an objective fact that is not disputable. Right. And then once you've stated that, share how it actually affected you. Right. Or how it makes you feel or how it affected people around you. Or This is the subjective part right. to the objective statement. Exactly. So, so for example, you could say something like, yesterday, you did not answer my call, which is an objective fact. I felt like you were ignoring me, which is a subjective interpretation. Maybe the other person was in a meeting and couldn't respond or... This is something that we, we know well. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's the, like a common theme here. Right. But the point is yeah. one is an objective observation the other one is an interpretation we oh. state we state our objective fact we give our subjective feeling and then we ask the question so you didn't pick up your phone when i called you yesterday i felt like you were ignoring me right. were you ignoring me when i called you yesterday right so the, <laughs> the, the third part is to ask a question <laughs> so you you open up with your observation and how it made you feel or how it affected you or people around the other person and then you want to ask a question. Maybe a little bit more eloquent than that. <laughs> right, but, but the point is, is that instead of saying, you ignored me when I called you yesterday, I mean, obviously it is, I'm boiling it down very easily, but instead of, when you just tell someone, you ignored me when I called you, that that's a immediate... It's a judgment. Yeah. And, and, and it's an interpretation an, of behavior. And they're and, immediately going to feel defensive and, about and, that. And, and it's not assuming good intent. It's assuming that the other person did, their behavior on purpose and it completely ignores that there might have been legitimate reasons for what they did so if i then instead of telling you that you ignored me i ask you are, were you mad at me did you ignore my call yeah i mean i think even better than asking did you ignore my call is for example to say did i do something wrong right so you didn't pick up the phone i felt you were ignoring me did i do something wrong like invite to... invite a dialogue and and Sometimes it's worth to kind of make yourself a little bit vulnerable because the other person then can recognize that you're not there to attack them or to hurt them because you would not have any reason to make yourself vulnerable in that situation. Right? You're here to resolve a problem and you're happy to play your part in that. Right. And then after you ask your question, number four is you need to listen to what right. they have to say. Yeah, so don't ask a question and immediately interrupt them when they start answering. Even if they say something that you may not like, let them finish. Let them explain themselves. Let them get angry, right? You're the one that manages the situation and then keeps you calm. So now that we have the overall structure established, let's talk a little bit about some little tricks or um, strategies that you can apply throughout the conversation or within the context of the structure. We're all familiar with the children's game telephone. In case you're not, it's basically... One person whispers a word to another person's into another person's ear. They whisper it to another person. They whisper it to another person. They whisper it to another person. And along the way, people misunderstand what was said or didn't understand it at all. And the word transforms and changes. And in the end, something else completely different comes out than what was originally said. And a lot of times in these hard conversations, because of how our brain works and how our emotions, because our emotions are stirred up, like all our blood is in our body for fight or flight mode, and it's all there's no blood in our prefrontal cortex to actually do any reasonable thinking anymore or reasoning and thinking, we don't hear what the other person is saying. They might say, you didn't pick up your phone. I felt like you're ignoring me. What you understand is, you asshole ignored me all day long and you react in an unreasonable way. The way that you want to fix this is you want to clearly separate fact from fiction. 
we talked about this briefly in the in the structure. You want to start with facts and then add the subjective parts afterwards. And so there's two sides to the same coin, basically. So we already briefly talked about how you can separate fact from fiction when you're speaking, but you can also do it when you're listening. But maybe we should do some examples or some more examples here. Let's start with the what you can do when you're speaking to the other person. Right. So again, we're, we want to separate fact from fiction or our interpretations of the fact. So for example, I say, you just started yelling at me out of nowhere, and we're clearly trying to ruin our entire evening. So what are facts here? What is fiction? So the fact is that you were yelling. Right. And it's interesting, right? Because when you look at a sentence, the facts and the fiction are, they're like intermingled. Yeah. It's right? Sometimes it's hard to, to pull it out. Yeah. And the fiction here, like you start yelling unprovoked. Do you know that? That's your interpretation. Maybe the other piece, person feels completely different about that. And they were out to ruin the evening, right? Which is, there's a lot of malice required to, to pull something like this off. And it kind of violates the whole concept of assume good intent, right? So those are the interpretations. The only fact that's in this whole story is somebody was yelling. So what would be a better way to present this fact and those interpretations separately. So if we go back to our structure, first I'm going to state my observation. You yelled at me. Then I'm going to say how that affected me. It felt like it was unprovoked. I understand this was not your intention, but in that moment I was under the impression that you were out to ruin our evening. Right. And so we separated the fact from fiction. We made sure that we assumed good intent. We clearly say, I understand that this was not your intention, but in the moment, it felt it felt like it. So this is much better. And this, this is something that you can have a conversation around. Whereas the first sentence, you just started yelling at me out of nowhere and we're clearly trying to ruin the evening. There's no conversation in there. This is just an argument. So how can you approach the same concept while listening when you're receiving communication? It's like when you're on the receiving end of some, say, feedback on right. something. I think the first thing is to make sure that you're being honest about your interpretation of what they just stated, because you might give me feedback on something and I will then tell you back what how I interpreted that. And that may not match what you have said at all. So first thing first is make sure that you're on the same page. How would you do that? Like what? So you go back to the, what we've been saying over and over again, assume good intent, right? Assume that this person is giving you feedback with good intent. And then you can reflect their statements back to them to confirm whether or not your interpretation is what they are saying. Right. And the reason why you would want to do this is to show the other person, A, that you are understanding what they are saying, and B, that you are fair in their interpretation and that you assume good intent, that you care about this, and that you are constructively working with them instead of just shutting down or becoming defensive or misrepresenting what they're saying. And I think this is really good if you are the kind of person that actually does get defensive very easily. So when someone starts delivering feedback to you, your mind is immediately starting to go thinking about all these things that you're going to say. You're not lis actively listening to what that person is saying. So by forcing yourself to confirm back to them, mm -hmm. it kind of like puts the brakes on the defensiveness for right. a moment. So let's do an example. Yep. So in this case, we have a work example. So imagine the following sentence being said, phase two will take way longer than two weeks, probably four or even six. That will create ripple effects for the entire timeline and we will never ship on schedule. We may as well cancel the project if we don't get that sorted out. Are you saying my proposal sucks and we should kill the project? Right. So what just happened there? <laughs> right? I think I think if we look at what just happened, what this response means, it's clearly a, a dishonest reflection of the previous statement. No, nobody said that the project sucks, sucks or needs to be killed, right? But it's like somebody was trying to make a point about if we can figure out our schedule correctly, then this can have significant negative effects on all the rest of the timeline. And then we may as well, like if we don't, if we can't hit our timeline, then we may as well not start the project at all. These are some unrealistic timelines. It's going to affect a lot of people. So we need to figure out how to make them more realistic. Otherwise, probably doesn't make sense to do the project. Right. So I think the biggest problem, and we again here with this response, is like it's, it assumes bad intent. The, the person saying, are you saying my proposal sucks and we should kill the project? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally not what I said. But, but it assumes bad intent. They, they, they don't see that the other person clearly has good intentions in trying to fix a problem that they so that see it doesn't fail in, in the project so that, that it doesn't fail. Exactly. 
how could a better response look like or sound like? So a better response, again, so we want to reflect the statement back and we want to do that with good intent. So uh, a better response might be, I understand you're saying that we should revisit the proposal to iron out our scheduling problems in phase two that you believe could otherwise lead to a project failure. Right. And this is a very fair reflection of the of the previous statement. It assumes good intent, right? It assumes that the goal that the other person has is to prevent a project failure. And this is something that a conversation can be had around. Um, the previous statement, the, are you saying my proposal sucks one? It's like, no, that's, that's just an argument again. That's just people getting angry at each other. That's not a conversation. Nothing good is going to come from that response. So I think another great strategy or tip for how to have hard conversations is be willing to listen and validate the other person in what they're saying. So you can do this by reflecting some of the things back at them that they're saying or by just agreeing. Obviously, as far as you do agree, if you do not agree, nobody forces you to to say, oh, yeah, you're right. That's not the intention here. But the idea is to kind of build trust and common understanding and build like a foundation that you can have a conversation around. And it's as easy as saying things like good point or uh, that's a great question or I like you said, I agree. With, I agree with that. You know, sometimes people feel like they're talking into a vacuum. So it's nice to give them. Yeah. And it, it helps deescalate the situation as well. Right. Follow us on social media to get a peek behind the scenes. We are at Unmarried Media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I think another roadblock that comes up when we have these types of conversations is the uncomfortable silence. I don't know what it is about silence, but it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, when there is an uncomfortable silence, there's kind of this initial immediate urge that we have to want to fill that silence uh, or force somebody else to fill that silence. Yeah. One thing that you can do with uncomfortable si silence is to just embrace it. Like just sit with the silence for a minute. Give both parties the opportunity to think about what they want to say next. Yeah. It can it can help calm down emotions. Um, it gives everybody a, an opportunity to arrange their thoughts. And let's say you're in a situation where you state a question to the other person. And for example, I'm like, how do you think about that? And now there's a second of silence. And then there's another second of silence. And suddenly, the person that just asked that question is like, you want to you want to start talking again? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it, yeah, you're like, well, I mean, if it's that big of a deal, then maybe we shouldn't even talk about it. If you can't even if you can't even think of something to say, right. so, <laughs> so so slow down, give silence a chance, right? Let the other person think about what they want to say and how they want to respond, and give them a chance to respond. This ties back into like the fundamental structure, right? Ask a question and then listen, and if it takes three, four, five seconds for the other person to respond, then wait three, four, five seconds for the other person to respond. I've recently heard from a, an ex-teacher that taught classes, I think in high school, that they actually have a, there's like this recommended seven seconds that you should wait when asking a question to the class before you answer it yourself. Like, if you think about it, how long seven seconds can be when you as a teacher, you're like, what's the name of the ship that Columbus sailed across the Atlantic? Two, three seconds. Oh, I'm just going to answer it myself. Right? But no, no, wait, give people a chance to think about it and to muster the courage to to say, uh, to, to, to respond themselves, right? So I think it's important then to be aware that you might finish your point and you may need to wait for... The person that you're speaking to to actually respond because they may need to think about what you have just said and then form their response and it may not be immediate it may take them a little bit more time so this is when you can utilize that meta conversation if i've said something and i've made my point and you're sitting there in silence and it's starting to kill me on the inside because you haven't responded i can just easily say do you have a response like do you have anything to say about that um, which can give you the opportunity to say oh i'm just thinking right Yes, I do have a response. I'm just thinking about it. I need a, I need a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's get into uh, meta conversation. So the idea is, when we say meta conversation, what we mean is that it's a conversation about the conversation instead of about the actual topic that the conversation is about. So what does that mean? So one example is that you can just describe what you are currently doing or how you're reacting. So for example, somebody gives you feedback and your immediate response could be, oh wow, that was tough. Give me a minute to think about this. 
right? You're not actually talking about the topic. You're just describing what you are going to do or you, you're having a conversation about the, the structure and the, the, the flow of the conversation. And what this does or what this can do is it can kind of help keep the conversation on track. But more importantly, it can help resolve, um, what's it called? Ambiguity. Right. So what's an example? Yeah, I, I'm sure a lot of people are like, what the <laughs> fuck are these guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so let, let's look at some examples to make it a little bit more clear. So one thing that you can do is, for example, you can acknowledge complicated or uncomfortable situations, right? And by doing that, you kind of relax it, the situation a little bit. You could say, for example, oh, I can see this makes you uncomfortable. Would you like me to give you some time by yourself? Again, this is not actually a conversation about the topic. This is meta conversation. What else? Some other um, other things that you can do is kind of be aware of the things that you tend to do during a conversation and actually call them out. So and this is, we talked about a little bit earlier when I mentioned if you start to cry, mm-hmm. by simply saying, sorry, like this is kind of my initial emotional response to feedback. Like I'm listening or, you know, I tend to come off strong in conversations like this. You know, I apologize what I actually wanted to say was. So just if you recognize in yourself that you have these kind of reactions that other folks might be taken aback by, to kind of call it out as letting them know that you recognize this about yourself and it's not your intention to come off a certain way. Right. It's not going to be an impediment to the actual discussion and the actual conversation. Uh, I think another great example of where a meta conversation is going to be very helpful is when you are kind of suddenly changing the direction of the conversation or kind of needing to rewind the conversation to a previous point. So one example is to say something along the lines of, I'm not sure if we're making enough progress here. Um, Let's rewind a little and get back to the original goal. Maybe at some point in the conversation, you're realizing, oh, this is is not going anywhere. How how are we going to fix this? Well, just be frank about it. Be like, let's take a step back. Let's go back to the original point and continue from there. That's one of my go-to phrases. I'm going to take a step back (laughs) or I think we're getting a little off track. So why don't we take a step back? (laughs) That's one of my go-tos. And I think this, this is another important thing. Even if you've never heard the term meta conversation, a lot of people do this all the time, but you just don't know. Yeah. You don't notice and you're, you're not aware of what this is called. You can also use it to help reinforce a point. I'm just going to let that sink in a little bit. Right. And we, we we talked about this multiple times already, but reflecting at them what they just said is a great way for validating what they said and, and trust building. So you could say something along the lines, of, so if I understand you correctly, you are saying that dot, dot, dot. I want to briefly touch on this. Um, we didn't talk about this earlier, but this whole reflecting at people, what they're saying, there's actually a, a term for that out of classic debate. It's called steel manning. So the idea is, Steel manning is in contrast to what is called a straw man. So straw man in classical debate is if you are misrepresenting uh, somebody else's statement or opinion in a way that makes it trivially easy for you to take down their statement. So an example for this could be you say, oh, we need to replace our fossil fuels over the next 20 years with solar power um, to combat climate change. And a straw man that I could build from this is to say, oh, so you want to get rid of all fossil fuels and replace them with solar by tomorrow? Like, how is that going to be possible? Like, all everybody's going to lose their job in fossil fuels, like in the oil industry or what? But what I really did is I misrepresented what you said there, right? I completely dropped the, over the next 20 years, it was, this is a slow process that is considerate and then uh, progresses slowly with like, oh, this has to happen immediately and we'll because it's immediate, will have a significant impact on the economy that is like not accounted for. By misrepresenting your statement, by building a straw man, I, it's very easy to take down this argument, right? You can just say like, well, that's stupid. And so in contrast to a straw man is like building a steel man or steel manning somebody else's position. It's basically if you make a good intention effort to as accurately and as positively reflect somebody else's statement or position so again this ties back into this whole concept of reflecting to them what they're saying and doing it with good good intent right and it shows the other person that you have good intent and that you're when you actually are attacking their arguments that you're doing that you're attacking the best version of their arguments so i think the last tip that i 
want to uh, get at, and we we mentioned this a couple of times before. Uh, it's like I, I like to call it the golden rule. I don't think actually we've mentioned this at all yet. No, we didn't call it the golden rule, but we, a couple of times, like we mentioned already, like in any conversation, the one person that can remain reasonable is always you. Right, but I think so. the The golden rule is very spe- specific. Because, and and I I get what you're saying, but we didn't flat out say these words. But the fact of the matter is, you cannot change other people. You can only manage yourself and your emotions in any situation. And this is like a common tool statement that is used in a lot of ways. Because for some people, we have this natural urge to try to either impact how somebody else feels about something or get someone else to change their behavior to fix a problem when in reality you just need to accept the fact that you do not have control and you cannot change other people all you have control over is yourself and how you react to those situations right and what this means in in end effect is like even if the other person misbehaves entirely during your conversation pointing fingers is not going to fix that and not going to improve that the only thing that you can do is like use these tools and the skills that you hopefully have learned in this episode to improve the situation by implementing it yourself and not depending on the other person to implement them because they might not. Right. And this is almost, you know, we mentioned this earlier that sometimes the outcome of these conversations are not always good. Sometimes they bring to light something that you didn't consider, or maybe it's taking it in a direction that you were hoping it wouldn't go. But based off of, you know, everything that's been discussed, maybe Maybe you're going to choose to leave your job or maybe you're going to choose to leave your partner. But trying to manipulate that conversation to get the other person to change or behave in a way that you want them to so that you can get what you want, that's not going to work. And let's go down dark quickly. Sorry. I mean, but it's, that's the, but that, I, but I think that is one of the reasons why people have such a hard time with these conversations is because you want them to end a certain way. And sometimes we will unconsciously try to manipulate the other person into, into responding or behaving in the way that we want them to so that we can get the outcome that we want. And sometimes the outcome is you're not going to get what you want. The goal here is to have an honest conversation. Yeah. Um, but, and not misrepresent things. Obviously, but I think the the when you're saying manipulate the other person, man, the word manipulate is like so negatively connotated. But yes, a lot of the things that we talked about in the end are about manipulating our our, our, our own and other person's behaviors. We decide to do specific things to de-escalate the situation, to manage the situation, to calm down our emotions, to allow the other person to constructively respond to what we're saying. So we like so the, we, the word uh, manipulate is is very strong in that sense. But yes, it is kind of like we, we we're structuring the conversation in a way that will make it more likely to be successful. So. Let me be more specific. What we've been practicing is kind of in the meta conversations. I, I understand that this might be uncomfortable or you appear to be uncomfortable or you appear to be upset versus telling someone you need to calm down, mm-hmm. right? So one is I'm just reflecting what I'm interpreting based mm-hmm. on the things you're saying. Another is like me attempting to control you by telling you to calm down. Right, right. So, I mean, this may be off topic, but I think it kind of goes back to choosing your words and reflecting observations versus actually trying to control the other person. Yeah, I think actually there's there's an interesting tidbit there as well that we haven't really shed much light on uh, up until this point. And that is when you are making subjective statements, make sure that it's clear that they're subjective. So don't say you are upset, but say it seems like you're upset or I'm under the impression that you're upset, right? Kind of, And that is not to weaken your points. This is because reality is there is a lot of interpretation in something like you are upset, right? And you want to make it clear that this is your own perception of the situation and not something that is fundamentally true because the other person might feel completely different about it. And then similarly to how we brought up preparing for a conversation, right? Taking the steps to prepare for these conversations. I also think it's really important to talk about how to successfully end these types of conversations, right? Because these emotionally loaded areas of conflict, when we have these kinds of conversations, 
they can get out of control. And four hours later, you're still talking about this topic, or maybe you're, this is a professional conversation and you've only got 30 minutes to talk to the person. So how do you successfully end the conversation? Yeah. And I think there's multiple possible outcomes. Ideally, the best outcome is you come to an absolute agreement. Obviously, not every conversation will end that way, but this is really what we're aiming for, what we're going for. So what this means, your goal was fully achieved. When the goal was fully achieved, generally, both parties should feel good about this. So maybe you gave somebody critical feedback and it was really hard to deliver this feedback, or the other person was like, oh yeah, I, I see, I now see where you're coming from. I see I'm doing this behavior or I, I did this mistake over here and I'll work on improving it. Like that's the ideal outcome. This is what we what we hope we will get out of these conversations and why we have them. And it might require some follow-up action items. So obviously, if this is like corrective feedback in some way, you want to make sure that the other person actually implements the, the and, changes. And, and if you're the manager, that you are setting expectations clearly about what you expect moving right. forward. But in, in general, the end to such a conversation is pretty straightforward. Right? You, you shake hands or hug each other and everybody's happy. Right. And if we're talking about a personal conversation, then maybe, you know, you've given your partner some feedback. It was rough, but they understood where you were coming from. And at that point, then you, if we're talking about expectations, it's kind of, okay, now that we're in agreement that this is a problem and I, you know, one, both parties accept that it's a problem, you can then be in a position to say, okay, what are the steps we're going to take to, to fix this or address this or assure that this behavior doesn't happen again. So it's it's in both contexts. Right. And this is actually a really important point, right? Like if you if you come to a conclusion in such a hard in a hard conversation like this and you agree that there is a problem and you make a promise to fix it, fix it. Right. And that's something I think in personal relationships that it feels like you've achieved the hard part by having the conversation. So it's like, oh phew, we've had that conversation. I feel better now. They're not upset. They recognize that it's a problem too. And we can hug it out and be happy. But then it's like, if you don't actually discuss steps to like remedying the issue, you're just going to end up having this conversation. Right. Over yeah. And over but again. even, even one step further, right? Like you can discuss the steps to, to, to fixing the problem, but you actually need to implement them as well. Um, nothing is worse than, or can hurt trust more than you acknowledging a problem, agreeing to fixing it, and then don't follow through on it. But yeah, I think a, another outcome for the conversation is, I call it agreeing to disagree. Really what, what we mean with this is the goal that was at hand was not fully achieved. So this could be that the other person does not agree with some fact or, or some interpretation, or maybe they're saying like, oh, the feedback that you're giving me, I, I don't agree with that. A lot of times you, you might be able to achieve a compromise. So maybe the person says, like, you know, I, I don't agree with your feedback, but what can I do to improve the situation for you anyway? So you might not be able to fully achieve the goal of that you had when you went into the conversation, but at least nobody leaves the conversation completely upset. In the most extreme form of this, and this is why I like the term agreeing to disagree, is both parties are just like, no, like this is this is not working. Um, I, I can see I made my point, you made your point, and we just don't agree. And there's there's no way that we can square that with each other, and we just have to walk out of this conversation without having achieved anything. Yeah, and, and that's go, that leads into what we've been talking about, where it's like having these difficult conversations may end with an unsavory outcome, right? Especially if this is a personal interaction. Right. You try to talk about something that was difficult to talk about. Turns out you got nowhere with it, and at the end of the conversation, you both are still in the same place that you were at the beginning, which may be a factor or an indicator that, um, to the extreme, maybe maybe we shouldn't be together if this is like that, if this is something that we can never agree on. So, say specifically, like if one person wants to have children and the other person doesn't, right? That's not something that you can necessarily compromise on. Um, uh, maybe I, I mean it, 
depending on the exact nature of I want children and I don't want children, maybe adopting is an option. Maybe getting a I dog mean, is an I'm, option. I right. don't know. No, but I'm just saying like if one person, if, if you're, if you and your partner, if you want to have a, a child and your partner doesn't want to have a child and you, I, you start this difficult conversation and you say, Hey, I know that you, we've talked about this and you said that you don't want children, but I really want children. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can do to like work towards that goal? And the other person says, no, sorry. Like, I don't want kids. Right. Like then yeah, that's kind of like a, okay, well, this conversation can't move any further. Right. But I would actually disagree with one thing that you said, and that is that you are no further than you were before the conversation. Well, yeah. No, I meant like you've obviously learned something from right. this. So this is like one of the important parts, right? Where you were trying to build mutual understanding. And even if you disagree, you now understand the other person's position, right? And you can come to terms with that. Even if you don't agree, even if you if it doesn't make you happy or is what you wanted, you can come to terms with that because you now understand where they're coming from and why they make specific choices or do th- specific things. You've gained understanding, but it, in comparison to our first um, example here, both parties don't necessarily feel good about the outcome. Right. But they shouldn't feel entirely terrible about it either. You might be disappointed and it's not what you wanted. But at least you can recognize that you now have certainty and understanding in, in the situation. But I mean, especially if you, if you're, if, if it's not the extreme end, right? The agreeing to disagree entirely, but there's some form of compromise. Really important, especially for this case, to set clear expectations and follow-up action items. Visit happilyunmarried.media/support to learn how you can support our podcast. I think one last thing that we should uh, talk about is. What do you do if you're not making the progress on the conversation? Do you feel like you're getting stuck? Maybe the emotions are cooking up. Maybe you're just talking in circles again and again and again. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to the simple having a time out, right? Sometimes you need to take a break or perhaps postpone um, a conversation until you're able to think clearly or calm your emotions because you know that you are riled up that you're unable to think rationally in this moment and therefore you're not going to get anywhere so i think it'd be best if we take some time off of the conversation and come back to it later obviously when you postpone a conversation there's no resolution in that moment and it's super important to actually ensure that you actually re-engage the conversation so uh and that goes back to the whole uh, in preparing for hard conversations that whole scheduling time to talk uh, is even more important if you are going to postpone a conversation. For example, one of the that I've mentioned earlier about like when I talk to clients, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have only an hour to talk to them and I'm not necessarily getting anywhere with them in that hour, but I have a clear hard stop. So I have to essentially say, hey, we, we've gotten to the point where we can't really move any further in the conversation, but I feel like I didn't resolve all of your issues. So I'm going to send you a follow-up to schedule more time so that we can talk about this in the next day or two if you're available. I mean, that's obviously that's what I do at work. It's a little bit different when you're talking mm-hmm. about a personal conversation, but I feel like that concept can still be applied if, if you choose or for one reason or another. Maybe it's not even an emotional reason. Maybe you started having a conversation and you have dinner plans or you have to go pick your kids up from school or mm-hmm. something. You actually have something scheduled and this maybe you started having this conversation at a time that wasn't the most appropriate. Right. You got to put it on hold for a minute because life happens mm-hmm. and but you got to make sure that you then set aside time to finish it. Right. So yeah. let's recap. Having hard conversations is hard. That's why they're called that. But it's probably still worth having them. Right. So when you're having hard conversations, you want to remember to manage your emotions, remain respectful, and always assume good intent. And separate fact from fiction, state the objective facts first, then your interpretation of how it makes you feel. And give the other person time to speak and to respond. Don't overwhelm them and listen. Because if you can master or at least get to the point where you are able to have successful hard conversations, you will improve your life, your career, your relationships. Exactly. Speaking of hard conversations, If you have feedback for us, please leave that in the comments down below or on Twitter at Unmarried Media. I'm Danielle. And I'm Daniel. And And we are happily unmarried. But more importantly, it can resolve ambiguity. Wow, this is a hard word. (laughs) Ambiguity.
Want me to help. 